0: This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric
0: Lopez, and Brian Murphy.
1: Welcome to a special edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez here with you. We are previewing the UCF men's soccer team in this uh, episode. Uh, We've got lots to talk about with this team that has won or excuse me unbeaten i should say 42 of their last 48 games but we haven't seen them in a while not since the uh, fall of 2019 due to covid we're going to hear from uh, head coach scott calabrese in this edition uh and make sure that uh, and do a little bit of a preview of uh the team right after that just to give you some of the lay of the land and what things look like for them um going forward eric this has been uh quite a run for UCF under under coach Calabrese in the last uh, four years. Hasn't it
2: really has been pretty remarkable back-to-back conference, regular season championships, a run to the historic first time ever in program history, a run to the sweet 16 in 2019 season, which was the last season we had. And now we have this unique situation where they're playing in the spring of 2021. Ironically, Something that Coach Calabrese has talked with us about in the past about maybe uh, playing in the spring as part of a two-semester season.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, like I said, the last time we saw them was in the fall of 2019. Lots obviously happened since then, but uh, that season they were 15-3 and uh, two, 10-1 and um, one at home, and, uh, and undefeated in conference, 6-0 and uh, one. They're only uh, the, the only thing they did was that remember they tied SMU 3-3 in that spectacular game. Back in uh, October of 2019, seems like it was yesterday and then also like five years ago. It's kind of weird that way. But uh, this is a team that, uh, you know, SMU was just their bugaboo. I mean, they tied them at, at SMU in the regular season. They lost to them one to nothing in the conference championship. And then they play them again. In the uh, in the NCAA's and lose to them two to one. It's like, oh my God, what can you poss- what can this team possibly do <laughs> against SMU? But uh, this has turned into, I think, one of the premier
2: rivalries in college soccer right now, isn't it? It was. I was droll dramatic matches. They've played dramatic matches going back to Calabrese's first year. Remember, they played for the championship. In Dallas, Dan, you won in overtime. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, UCF would have been to the NCAAs three straight years in a row. So it's been these top two programs that have carried the American, and it will certainly be the two favorites once again here in the spring season. But what's so fascinating about this year is the league is a little different. You got the home and home. No more Cincinnati. No more UConn, as you'll hear Coach Calabrese talk about, but yet a strong league and – in a situation where the tournament this year goes from 48 to 36. So a little less room for air for each match, but you're starting right off the bat with conference matches. You're no non-conference. It's a, it's a sprint. Uh, If there's anything uh, faster than a sprint, this would be it. Uh, So there's no time to waste. You got to get going right from the get-go and it'll get going for them on Saturday, uh, February 6th against Tulsa at home. Remember they played a dramatic, overtime match last year at uh at UCF and then obviously South Florida is still strong in the league and Memphis as we'll talk about so uh man it's just crazy to think about that right off the bat we're playing all conference
1: yep eight games uh, or 10 games in conference and all home and home so we're gonna get uh so, and one game a week which is we'll talk about with coach Calabrese I think is really key to them actually trying out you know some things that uh Uh, NCAA soccer has been looking at maybe making it a year-round sport so all right we'll get to we'll break things down in a little bit but uh, let's get right to it with uh, head coach Scott Calabrese of the UCF men's soccer team (laughs) joining us here on the black and gold Banneret, the head coach of UCF men's soccer his teams are unbeaten his team is unbeaten in 42 of their last 48 games uh, Scott Calabrese joining
0: us here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast to talk about this
1: highly unusual spring season. Yeah.
0: Coach, how are you? I am. I am doing very well. um Thank you for having me on. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're glad to have you on. You know, we had Tiffany on earlier,
1: and we asked her. I guess the first question for that we asked her was, you know, how has has she adapted to this long layoff? What fourteen months? Even though you've been practicing and you've been yeah. training and you've been playing some exhibition games at the you know, prior to when COVID happened, still a long time to go without irregular competition. Yeah. So, um, what's it been like since uh, since the end of the 2019 season, and especially since the pandemic? Is it what has it been like day to day in terms of you know making sure your players are
0: ready, but also healthy and safe? Yeah, it, it's been um, it's been very challenging, uh, especially for the players. We've we've had to become really really comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and adapting uh, and being flexible at, you know, as we know, kind of COVID, we, we were introduced to it and didn't really know what it was. And um, all the players left and, uh, you know, as we brought them back for the fall season, uh, we were still learning about COVID. So protocols were changing uh, all the time, how we, um, how we conducted practice was changing, how we phased into training, uh, how we created our bubble, uh, what the players couldn't, couldn't do. It was just, it was changing all the time. And I, and I think um, that created real difficulty for the players, you know, to be really honest. Um, and then that, that whole period, we weren't sure when is this going to, Conclude. When is this going to come to an end? You know, because at least if you could set your sights on a bullseye, uh, you you you'd say, okay, here here's how we can move forward. So it was it was really difficult, especially for the seniors, which was a, a really good group. My first group that I recruited, a lot of those guys had a vision of what was going to happen, and the vision was we are going to have a fall season. That season is going to be incredibly successful. We're going to perform at this high level both collectively and individually. And then, you know, I'm going to graduate in December and I have this path potentially to then continue my career. And so we had to, we had to handle all that. Um, and so it was a really, um, it, it was a really interesting time for us. And, um, uh, 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 but I think we've come through it now having had a lot of this adversity and I think we're better off in a lot of ways for it. Um, and, and so but now here we are at the end with this couple days away a chance to play and that's really really exciting. what was the biggest uh,
1: what was the biggest challenge that you guys came across that would that when you look back on it, you're like, man, I did not anticipate that would be yeah. such a huge issue but boy, did it make a huge difference?
0: So I, w- I would say the biggest challenge was our senior group and um how they had this plan in their mind and what what they wanted to do and they they were all in to UCF and 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 having a great season and then when that didn't happen Mm -hmm. um you know they had aspirations after UCF and in being drafted and playing professionally and um and how the MLS draft lined up with, now they they were all granted another season of eligibility. And then the question is, do they use it? Do they come back in the spring? Uh, do they try to go and play professionally? They've got their degrees in hand because we had set it up that way. So just helping them through that process and being really open to them and, and um, making sure that we were really acting in their best interests, um, was was a really difficult process and and the you know those guys have have uh, I think learned a lot I think we've learned a lot in that process and um, so that that was something I had no idea we were going to have to deal with but uh, that was the biggest thing to be honest.
2: Well and the uniqueness of it playing in the spring you're going to be playing conference matches only right off the bat like what what is oh, that yeah. like? Take us through the process as you as coaches in the league kind of figured, sorted through this, come up with the home and home as you'll get into. But you're going, you're not, you don't have that non-conference schedule to prep for conference. You're going right away.
0: Yeah, we're we're right into the fire and and we're straight into games that are meaningful, that have uh have implications in a league table without a lot of opportunity to to get our team prepared in, in a normal way. So um, we, we came to this decision as, as a group because we wanted to secure the best possible season we could for our guys. And uh, we knew that we could control our conferences policies. We knew that our conference was gonna have each team doing the right things in terms of COVID and that that would give us the best chance to have a really meaningful season. Um, we also believe that our conference is incredibly strong as a soccer conference. And so the idea of playing really, really good games every single weekend is something that we, we really gravitated towards. And, and then the idea of playing only one game a week, which is something that is is what most of the rest of the world tries to do. Um, and being able to put so much effort into our preparation for that one game. Uh, and that game be really meaningful and have three points on the line. I think that's, I think that's exciting. So we ended up being really happy with that.
1: I was going to say that's, this is and, kind of a I'm trial sure. run for your uh, for the proposal that we've yep. been talking about the last couple of years, right. Yep. With the making soccer a year round sport. If, if that happens, this sort of conference in the spring, one match a week that becomes that, that's that's what it would look like. So how do you feel about this? Do you, you and your fellow coaches in the NCAA that you talk to on a regular basis, do you feel like, okay, we're going to give this a trial run and see if this might work now?
0: Yeah, that, that's been a conversation. That was actually a conversation in the office today with our staff and how exciting that was. And that we'll really know, is this the best way for us to conduct a season? Um, we believe it is, but we've never done it. So so now this idea that we're going to play the season, it's one game a week and and total rest. And then on Saturday, everybody should be flying if we do everything right. Uh, And you get to do that every week. I mean, that that's really exciting. And then to, to your point, actually, now we have a summer off and then we play another fall. So it is it actually pretty much lines up as. The split season that we're proposing that we were proposing fall and spring with a split in the middle, but we're, we're going to trial run this and, and uh, see what it feels like. And, you know, I, I think we're going to come back and be pretty excited about it, but, but who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out at the right. end of it.
2: But it's, it's a great experiment to, hey, see it live. Instead of talking about it in a group meeting, you get to go through it and then evaluate afterwards. And I really applaud all of you as the staff to kind of take a, a difficult situation and trying to turn it into a positive for the sport. Uh,
0: I, I I think I, I always say, um, I have a phrase, like the map is different than the terrain. And so just like you said, like, we've talked intellectually about what this is going to be. And then now we're going to be on the ground and we're going to live it. And we're going to live it every day. And then we're going to see, okay, what didn't we see? What were our blind spots, if any, um, that we didn't see that's a negative that would make us not want to do this. Um, But I think, I'm excited. I I think the the coaching group um, really wants to advance the sport as a whole and really wants to create college soccer, make it more developmental. And I think the way to do that is, is exactly what we're talking about, which is we make sure we get the right balance of training and games so that the players are fresh and that they're less likely to be injured and they can really produce.
1: I agree. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to see. Now, let me ask you about, we are going to start asking you about your players now, obviously yeah. in 2019, it was the Cal Jennings show, 18 goals, four assists. Um, we've seen how he's, developed into and wet pro. I think he's at Memphis nine Oh one. Right. And he was, and he was tearing it up for them. He's yeah. gone now. So the $64,000 question is <laughs> who picks up the scoring yeah. load from one of the nation's top scorers last year.
0: Yeah. Cal Cal is a guy that we, we relied on and uh, we felt like we started every game one nil up. And uh, so there's a, There's a big opportunity for players to step up. And and I don't think you're going to see just one player step up. Uh, Cal was number one or number two in the nation in in goal scoring, right? So um, you're probably going to see two or three or four people who, you know, maybe they had three goals last year. Maybe now they're at seven goals, right? And and, um, now – okay, maybe we have a striker uh, who's a younger guy who's now getting experience, and, and hopefully he comes in and has a great season. I hope he has 18. You know, so you've got, um, you know, we've got three young strikers who have a lot of promise, and uh, Jose Aldaco, um, Jonas Schmalbach, uh, and then we, we've signed another one, Luca Dorado. And those, those three guys, all score goals in training, all look really promising, and then now when we get to the match, who, who's going to do it. We have Hatabu Berry, who's back. Um, and he's been a great winger for us. Can he increase his production from the wing? Can Gino increase his production from the wing? Can some of these younger players as a young man, Andrew Lazinas, who's a local, um, product, who's been just, he's arrived during this pandemic where he's trained and, and really improved. Um, does Andrew start to create more chances and score more goals? So I, I think that the answer is that it's going to be hard for one person to do it and that more people are going to have to shoulder um, the burden of scoring goals for us.
2: Good Eric. Gino, you mentioned was so clutch. Gino, Gino was clutch. He had like big time, timely goals, great plays and big matches. What have you seen him growing? And then, the veteran leadership like Yannis Learman and Louis Perez and Yoni Sorkin up front there in the midfield and, and so forth. How, what have you seen? What do those guys mean to your program?
0: I, I think, you know, to go to Gino first, I, I would say Gino also is a player during this period, um, where we were only training, he got better and better and better. And he, he was very good, as you said, in the fall, um, and so we I think we can expect more from Gino and, and, and I think he's he's going to have a great year. Um, and then the, the, the fact that these seniors, the senior returning group, you know, we have that that was that was in large part um, the first recruiting class that we had put together. Um, and so they're they were a little bit older anyway. Um, but now they know what the standard is, right. And they, they have lived that standard and helped create that standard for the past four years. Now they're going in their fifth year. Um, and so like they, they, they can hold the standard on the field. They can hold the standard up in training. Um, and their, their influence is so important.
1: Yannick Ertl is back in goal again, and he's, he's one of those other seniors too. Um, it, it, it's got to be a tremendous convenience, you know, just being able to see him back there and you, you don't really have to worry about it. Um, but he still has a tough job because, you know, you guys produce yeah. so many shots on offense. Sometimes that results in a counterattack. And, and yeah. it, I, I know it's a real concern that you don't want him to, to end up facing too many, uh, too many hot shots, but
0: you know, how has he developed into that role? So 100% you're, you're correct. Um, the biggest problem when you play the way we do and if, we, if we're able to successfully play the way we do is that we play in the other team's half and we are trying to attack and penetrate and create chances in very small spaces because hopefully if we do things right, we pass the team that we're playing against into, uh, into their own half. But then that leaves big, big, big spaces in behind us. And uh, one of the things that was, was clear as you kind of look back at that fall season uh, is that we conceded too many goals. And some of those goals, a lot of those goals were counterattack goals. And so, you know, a big part of Yannick's job is also to organize us. And so one of the things when you have a lot of possession and you play in another team's half, it kind of invites you to keep coming forward. And players may come out of the back to try to, try to help. And then, of course, in a moment, when you lose possession, now there's all that space behind us. So Yannick, for one, he's got to keep us organized at the back, when especially when we go forward. Um, because the moment the ball turns over, if you haven't thought about transition and the counterattack, it's too late. You're already exposed. And so he's got to do that. And then he can come up with big saves and has proven it for the last three years. And he is another player that reached in my mind for a period during our our training. I I, I thought he was absolutely exceptional. And I think he can get again, back to that level, um, which, I mean, I I think Yannick's one of the top goalkeepers in college in the country.
2: It's one of the top goalkeepers in the history of this program, which is saying a lot, obviously Winston DeBose is the icon of the bar and but you know others, but he's he's putting a great name for himself up there. I'm curious with playing in the spring as opposed to the fall and implementing your system. Does that help the new faces, the newcomers, as far as being more maybe in sync than maybe they would have been if you would have started in normal fall as you guys, you and your coaching staff implement the system?
0: I think um, I think it I think it could. I think uh, we would l- have loved. Um, to have maybe a couple more games to, to play, like preseason matches. But I, I can see already, so some of those younger players who spent that entire fall training with us, now their brains are ticking. They, they understand what we're asking of them. They, and, and, and they're doing it. And they're, they're organizing others. So that process took place. Some of the new guys that are joining right now um that are playing a lot uh they they who just arrived because we actually have a couple that just arrived they were stuck in brazil and uh couldn't get out and finally got out to join us um those guys they do have a little bit more of a learning curve but but 100 to your point the guys that were here in the fall and and they understand what what our system looks like they also understand how other players play which takes time and that's just a normal process that no matter how we coach them until they play with each other long enough they don't know okay louis likes a pass but he wants it here to his left foot not to his right foot or as he makes this movement what he really wants is the ball here not there and and that just takes time and um that's that's a process that really can't be rushed
1: chemistry right
0: chemistry hundred hundred 100 percent yeah
1: uh, let me ask you about the the lay of the land, uh, not just the conference, but in, in college soccer in general right now. Because um, the, the ACC played in the fall, yeah. uh, as did the Sun Belt. Don't want to forget them, obviously. But you know, there you have number one. You know, your top four teams in the country, obviously based on the rankings that they were the only ones playing. Yeah. But but they're they're the main competition as far as the other conferences. Um, also, UConn's gone from the American. Uh, so. With those factors yeah. in mind, do you see it as an advantage that you're playing in the spring or are you concerned that maybe once you get to later on, if you do get to the tournament that things that you guys could would be a little bit more tired heading into there? Um, how, how does that how does that play into your thoughts yeah. as you look forward oh, to the question. to the postseason?
0: <laughs> I think the teams that played in the fall, uh, are potentially a little disadvantaged in this whole process. And why is that? They so the 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 way that the the schedule is set is that you get a certain number of days. Right now, it's like 132 days of 20-hour weeks. Uh, and not to get too technical, but because of the because those teams played in the fall, uh, they have less opportunity to play these 20-hour weeks now in the spring. Uh, I think the way that our schedule is set up, I don't think we'll be tired because we have that full week of rest. Okay. And, and then we train, I think if we do it right as coaches, um, then hopefully we'll get these guys in a groove where they're in a rhythm and they're, they're fit. They have the chemistry that that we hope develops, um, but we don't, we don't exhaust them. We don't overly fatigue them because because a normal season during this period of time could exhaust them. And that's 16 games. So trying to fit that many more games, six more games into a pretty simple, like almost the same period of time. That's actually what I think exhausts our guys. But, you know, if we feel like they're tired. There's no, we have no issue with saying, OK, you know what? Take two days off and then yeah. they're they're fresh as can be when they come back.
2: And by the way, the tournament's going from 48 to 36 for the yeah. field, which I would imagine creates even more urgency and saying, Hey, we got to take care of business in the conference. Don't let it come to, down to selection, uh, the selection day. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a hundred percent, right. There's not a whole lot of room for error in terms of results. Um, so you only have a limited number of at-large bids and you have one automatic bid and the automatic bid, is gonna be determined by a tournament at the end. So the top four teams will go to a tournament. And then the winner out of that gets the automatic bid. But there is an opportunity for at-large bids. The hard part, actually, with all of this, for any committee that tries to pick um, a a team for an at-large bid is that no one's playing each other, really. So RPI doesn't work. Right. it just statistics. you cannot measure us against anyone else uh objectively you could do it then there Then what will happen is there'll probably be some subjective measures about teams and so it's going to be um it's going to be really difficult for those guys to figure out who's who should go because there's definitely more than 36 teams that probably will deserve to go
1: I mean, SMU is going to be obviously a contender once again, but you lose UConn and they've been a, and they've been a contender for so long. Yeah. Do, do you think that that's, that hurts the American a little bit?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I think UConn was a really good member for us. Um, they, they invested in big ways in their soccer program. with the. I mean, you can even see the new facility that they've built and um, what they were trying to do there they had won a national championship. Um, So it does, it it does, it does hurt us. And then, you know, our response to that is we're going to have to go out and find a game as good as that out of conference when we get back to normal times and we can schedule. And then that's when we're going to have to go and find maybe an ACC opponent to offset the loss of uh, a team like UConn
1: have to pull virginia out of charlottesville for once one of these years well, you know
2: well and, rem- and remember and coach knows this i've been i've been a defender of the league as you know this coach you the, the league is a top five league so just because yeah. uconn's leaving that doesn't mean there's True. gonna be a big drop off this is a strong league and it showed that with the way you and smu were seated and should have been seated higher but you were both national seats so uh, i will caution that yes luke uconn's a big loss but this league is still a strong power conference
0: yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, and I think what's happened is um, Temple, uh, Brian Rowland, who took over Temple, he's he's done a good job. He he's made them a better team. I, I'll tell you, I think Memphis is is a much better team than they were. Um, and, and Tulsa, Tulsa's a very good team. Uh, and so I think what what's happened, you know, we, we obviously we lost Cincinnati as well. Yeah. Um, when they dropped men's soccer. Uh and that, that was not a team that was really bringing in a, a high RPI. So I think if the existing members perform similarly to what they've done in the past year or two, then, then I think we have a really strong league.
1: And that's the last thing I want to uh, finish up with, too, because you know, we, we're seeing like how COVID-19 has really affected one of the sports that has been dramatically affected in terms of uh, schools dropping sports has been men's soccer, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what do you think that college soccer in general has to do to kind of, go, to, to get back onto the front page a little bit more and, and seek more growth? Because, you know, like we've seen, I mean, the reason why schools like Cincinnati were dropping men's soccer was because there wasn't, unfortunately, where they are, it's strange for a, a city that had got, had a new MLS team. There just wasn't enough resources for yeah. them there. So Um, how do we get, how do we get the sport to be where you envision it to be?
0: Well, I, I, I'll go back to that 21st model, 21st century model. And, And I think when, when we do have that model development occurs and we, we talk about pathways, right. And everyone has a different pathway in terms of their playing career. And, you you look at MLS teams uh, and their academies and and the pathways that they develop uh, and they might homegrown a player uh, or they might sign a player to Orlando city B. Uh, But if you really look at some of the top MLS players that, that have come out and we don't need to look any further than Orlando city. um, And and you've got Chris Mueller, you've got Benji, Michelle, um, you've got uh, Daryl DK uh, right there. All those guys play college soccer. They all played college soccer and they all developed in college soccer. And, and so I think when you look at college soccer and it has a history of developing players at a high level. And, and mind you, all three of those players just got pulled in the U.S. national team as mm-hmm. well. So you, you, you sit there and you go, why? Well, why does that happen? Well, because the games are really meaningful and you're chasing championships. and And, and like there it's really it's a highly competitive league. Um, And I think if we can change that season and become an even better developmental pathway, then there's such relevance for college soccer in the, in the grand scheme. So I think there's that component, you know, and, and, and then I would say, okay, well, how do we even become more relevant within our institution, right. And within our athletic department, well, for me, you know, there's, college athletics is not just about revenue and that's clear, right? It, it, it's about other things and creating spirit and creating environments and engaging students and, and engaging soccer fans, engaging the community. And I think the better we do that, uh, the more we uh, create value for everyone involved. Um, and so that's also part of the reason why we play the way we do we we we, we want to be exciting we want people to come to the games we want to also we want little kids to come and watch us and say hey i want to be a ucf player and wow i just learned a lot about how to play the game by watching ucf um and we do try to create those relationships with local clubs uh and i think that's how how we can really be relevant Head coach, Scott
1: Calabrese, you're absolutely right about that for UCF men's soccer. The most exciting soccer team in the Southeastern United States at any level for our money. Uh, your first uh, game is uh, coming up on against Tulsa at home February 6th, two days from now. We're looking forward to it. And uh, coach, best of luck. Stay healthy, stay strong, and uh, we will see you uh, during the regular season. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Go Knights. Thanks to Scott for his insight, and thanks to Ken Landis also for uh, helping us out. We always appreciate Ken helping us Ken, out. He's with, on
2: fire, he man. He is the man. He's right? on fire.
1: He's, got, he's, he's the busiest man in show business right now, I'll tell you that. Uh, stick around. When we come back, we'll uh, kind of finish up our preview of UCF Men's Soccer in just a moment. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, back with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, our 2021 Spring Men's Soccer preview show uh we just heard from head coach scott calabrese this interesting point that i also i wanted to bring up from last year that we didn't have time to bring up. this team was six one and two in overtime games they had some phenomenal overtime luck their only loss was in the last game of the season uh in the ncaa third round at smu two to one which was what made it so you know heartbreaking even after they beat missouri state two to one uh at home in the uh in the second round remember they got the bye last year but you know like we told scott like you know this is uh you know they lose cal jennings um in his phenomenal offensive production of course i remember when a couple years ago when cal was a youngster right eric when he was coming Mm -hmm. off his freshman year we saw a little bit of a glimpse of him uh back in 2017 but we didn't think that he would turn into the scoring machine that uh you know that he that he turned out to be uh, for UCF, and lo and behold, he really was. But uh, uh, you know now, you know with uh, with UCF looking for the scoring load, you know this is a team that, as Coach Calabrese talked about, and I love his style of play. They are so aggressive, and we see it in and the stats bear that out. They were 11th in scoring offense last year, or 2019 rather, in the NCAA, 2.25 goals a game they were fourth in assists per game which i think tells you a lot about you know the kind of soccer that they play up in the front uh, yeah. up in the front and uh what i think was even uh, even even tells you a lot more obviously eighth in shots per game they 16 and a half shots per game and first in corner kicks which tells you that they just try to wear defenses out and uh, and and weeks, you and I, I think we both expect and I think Coach Calbries expects much of the same this year, albeit with a slightly different cast of characters.
2: They do. And I think he mentioned there with you know possibly with being in the spring, the youngsters that he talked about, especially up front, could step in right away, maybe quicker. Uh, first, let me like, acknowledge Cal Jennings and his career. Seventh UCF player ever. Men's soccer history to be an All-American. He's the only third player ever. To be a multi-time All-American, which he was, two-time All-American. The other players in UCF men's soccer history: Winston Debose, who we've had on this show as a three-time All-American, seventy-four to seventy-six. He's in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. He's in the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. And then Rick Brentesovic, who is also an All-American, three uh, multiple-time All-American from eighty-one to eighty-three. He was a goalkeeper. Played in the Tampa Rowdies. They're both goalkeepers. Cal Jennings is the only multi-time All-American in UCF men's soccer history that was not a goalkeeper. Hmm. Uh, Seventh overall, to me, I ranked them in our UCF all-time greatest uh, male athletes. I ranked them in the top 16 all-time, tied with the Heike Rickoviden as far as the best forward. So a salute to Cal and what a career he had. And um, so the question now becomes, well, who's going to take up the spot? And I agree with you. As you heard Coach mention, it's probably going to be by committee. Uh, that's going to happen there. So I, I think some of the youngsters he mentioned, but I think, look, the good news for this team is they got a lot of veterans. Uh, you know, Gino Vivi the guy I like the sophomore really made some big plays for them last season as a freshman. So some big goals, you got the midfielder, Yoni Sorokin, Louis Perez, midfielder. Uh, and then the, you know, on the backside, you got Yanis Learman. So they got a lot of experience back. They, they're used to winning. And I think that will help them here this season.
1: Yeah. Oh, by the way, the name finally came to me. Remember the guy who in Coach Calvary's first year was the big goal scorer, Matthias Puzzolo. Remember yeah. him? Yeah. Yeah, we were like... From Finland. Him, hey,
2: how are you? Right, and we were asking, how are you going to replace that production? And you are like, hey, it could be some guys, but, you know, we got this youngster, Cal is pretty good, too, so that worked yeah. out.
1: Yeah, and we saw little glimpses of that. And I, th- I think what we saw last year was the glimpses from Gino. Uh, that that was, you know, sort of analogous to what we saw from Cal at the end of that first year. So... Uh, I'm excited to see what they're what he's able to do, um, you know, if, if when he gets the full go ahead here. And you know, let's not let's not sleep on the back end here too, because we talked about how good Yannick Ertl is, and he's a senior this year, um, and and plays such a critical role back there. And uh, and you know, obviously, you, you know, UCF has a, a lot of talent that they're going to have to rely on to. to Keep teams at bay, at least as best they can, you know, in, in the event that they in the event that there is a counterattack that they're going to have to worry about. Um, it's going to be uh, it, it, I, I'm I, I think that they're and of course, Giannis Learman, of course, from France, who's, you know, preseason uh, all conference. I, 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 I think we would be remiss to not have high expectations for this team, at least at this point, because the system works. We know the system works because it's because we've seen it work. Pre-Cal Jennings, and so now that he's there, someone else fills in fills in the opportunities. And so, even with this abbreviated season, there's a good chance for UCF to really wreak havoc in the American.
2: And you've got one, a great one of the best goalies in the country, Yannick Erdl, who yeah. I mentioned earlier. We mentioned Debose and Brincovic; they're probably the two greatest goalkeepers ever. Yannick's trying to move up that list and try yep. to be in there. You know, so uh, it's a veteran team, fortunate in that you know. From a roster standpoint, they weren't hurt too bad. From a you know, this is such a unique situation. You have guy opportunities with the MLS Super Draft recently happened, and then players have a chance to play overseas. Uh, they didn't have a huge departure list that other teams have had, so I think that works to UCF's favor yeah. here in the spring.
1: And you were and you were telling me that we were talking about this earlier in the week. Is that you know there were a couple of players who might have had an opportunity to go in the draft, but weren't selected. And you were and I remember you were telling me that you know. That's, I think UCF probably, you know, breathes a sigh of relief at that, no?
2: Yeah, I mean, Louis Perez was a guy I thought would get drafted, didn't get drafted. And, you know, who knows what would have happened as Coach Calabrese kind of explained it with the extra eligibility. A lot of things would have had to have been figured out, you know, wouldn't win the MLS start. Did the guy sign a contract, not sign a contract? Well, done. you don't have to worry about that if you didn't, you know, no draft, So Right. Uh, in a weird way uh, that works out to UCF favor. And I think also probably motivate guys like Louie and uh, maybe others that thought they had a shot to get drafted. That probably be a little motivated as well for, to improve their draft stock here moving forward.
1: Yoni Sorokin and uh, Giannis Learman made the Mac Herman trophy watch list for UCF and five UCF Knights made the all conference preseason uh, selections, including Learman and Sorokin also Ertel, uh, Louis Perez and Gino Vivi. So there's your there's your front five, right? I mean there's your your guys who UCF is going to be um you know really counting on and then who who comes up right behind him who's going to be interesting to watch. Uh uh UCF was picked uh second in the league behind SMU. Um and remember like we talked about with coach the Americans down to six teams because UConn left and then also Cincinnati canceled men's soccer which really stinks to hear especially in a uh, in a city that's, you know, re- where soccer is growing. They just got an MLS franchise. Um, but that's, you know, that kind of, that kind of stinks. Ertl, by the way, is the preseason goalkeeper of the year. Preseason offensive player of the year is Gabriel Costa of SMU. Defensive player of the year, Pierre Caye of uh, Temple. So it's going to be, it's going to be UCF and SMU. And I think we're going to see some more. Uh, it, and as Calabrese talked about uh, with us earlier, um, there's going to be some opportunities for some other schools to try and you know to really kind of improve in that respect. So uh, it's going to be it, it's this is going to be a wild year. It's going to be a wild year for the men, just like we talked about with the, where it's going to be a wild year for the women's team as well. But you know maybe some new things and some good things will come out of this. And uh, and we're and I'm thinking really that this this could be UCF's chance to finally get past SMU. What do you think?
2: I just hope they can kind of pass through and get the matches in, man. This is kind of,
1: yeah, no
2: margin for error. It really isn't with a home and home. I mean, this is a strong league. As I mentioned in the interview, this was a top four league really in 2019. And I think they're strong. South Florida is strong. Memphis is strong. Temple's pesky. So uh, no gimmies. So, you know, let's just worry about one match at a time and once a week, every match. Cause there's huge significance here, especially with the field down to 36. I think you have to go with the approach of trying to control your destiny and win the league, get the automatic bid and not worry about selection. You know, what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the selection process.
1: First game of the season is uh, Saturday, this Saturday, February 6th at 6 PM on ESPN plus UCF takes on Tulsa. Uh, some of the other notable home games, South Florida comes to town on the 20th. That's a Saturday at 6 PM. That's also on ESPN plus Memphis on the 6th. All these games are Saturdays, by the way, except for SMU, which uh that game will be Friday April 2nd at 6 p.m. So a lot of opportunities for TV that that first SMU game which is in Dallas will also be on ESPN Plus and you know we you know us like <laughs> Eric you and I are fans of ESPN Plus because it gives us opportunities to see more uh more UCF sports both at home and on the road uh on TV so uh and with some pretty good production values as well courtesy of the folks at UCF so this should be uh this will be fun. Of course, the American Athletic Conference Championship slated for April 15th semifinals. That's a Thursday. And April 17th, Saturday, uh, will be the finals in the NCAA tournament right thereafter in the warmth of the spring uh, in uh, here in college soccer. So it's going to be uh, a wild ride, but we're going to be here for you throughout the year following UCF men's soccer and UCF women's soccer throughout the year. Of course, you can follow us at UCF underscore banner and facebook.com slash black and gold banneret as well as on black and gold your home for UCF Sports on SB Nation. And of course, uh, don't forget, if you uh, don't subscribe to our podcast, please make sure you do. Uh, if you do subscribe, leave us a rating uh, wherever you get your podcast, be them on Android or Apple devices. And uh, let us know if there's anything that you want us to do. You can reach out to us at black and gold at email at gmail.com. Uh, with any uh, fan questions that you might want us to address on the podcast all right eric lopez it's been fun looking at soccer here we go off we go
2: here we go the sprint's on
1: yep all right for eric lopez i'm jeff sharon saying thank you for listening this has been the 2021 spring 2021 ucf men's soccer preview on the black and gold banner podcast